Hey everyone, welcome back. This podcast thing has been a lot of fun so far, and apparently you guys are liking it too. It's got 19 five-star ratings on iTunes, is one of the top Canadian government podcasts, and is one of the top new government podcasts worldwide. This is a little bit ridiculous. I guess the big takeaway here is that the other ones must be total shit. Either way, thanks for being fans, thanks for hanging out with me every week, and thanks for telling two friends about it, which is what you should do. And now, your number one source for what's happening in Canada today. From the mind that brought you 222 minutes, this is my 222 cents. Three, two, one. Megan Rapinoe, a female soccer player from the U.S., was making headlines recently complaining that she doesn't get paid as much as male professional soccer players. She chalked it up to discrimination, saying that the only reason why members of the women's national team are paid less is because of their gender. She pointed to their impressive record, multiple world championships, and multiple Olympic gold medals. but. She seemed to have forgotten the time when her team was beaten by a local all-boys under-15 team in 2017. That's right, there wasn't one set of descended testicles on the field, and they still lost. Now, before anyone gets their non-gender-specific underpants in a knot, I'm not here to demean women. Ms. Rapinoe has a lot more trophies than I do, but... The reason why she doesn't get paid the same as athletes in the U.S. National Premier Soccer League is because she doesn't play in the U.S. National Premier Soccer League. And if you think you're being paid unfairly, look at the numbers. As Derek Nurnberg pointed out on Twitter last week, the 2018 Men's World Cup generated $6 billion in revenue, with teams sharing $400 million of it, or 6.67%. The 2019 Women's World Cup generated $131 million in revenue, and the team split $30 million, or 22.9%. Simply put, the women's soccer teams get paid almost four times as much as the men do as a reflection of the revenue they create. Statistically speaking, men are larger, stronger, and faster than women. This is basic biology, and dyeing your hair pink doesn't make you more aerodynamic. It stands to reason that feats of athleticism featuring men would be more appealing to watch than those with women at the forefront. And given the fact that sports are some of the last bastions of meritocracy, top athletes, that is, male athletes, should get paid more than women. Doesn't it seem a tad suspicious that pretty much the only league who didn't complain about dropping revenue in the last year was the WNBA? They can lose half their viewership and be out like 40 bucks. It still doesn't stop some of them from complaining about unequal pay, though. Putting two and two together here isn't a slam dunk, folks. But if it was, no one in the WNBA would be able to do it. And soccer's the same thing. Women's soccer isn't top tier, and as such, it draws less crowds, makes less money, and therefore pays its players less. You don't see guys playing senior hockey complaining at the goddamn White House that they don't get paid as much as they would if they played for the Habs, or even a real team for that matter. 
professional sports is an industry, like any other, that follows supply and demand. When you watch a Canadian team, you can pay a hundred bucks a ticket to sit in the nosebleeds. Or you can go to Phoenix and get a free ticket, beer, and hot dog thrown in when you buy a concert ticket at the same stadium. Women's soccer is a Coyotes game seat, and it's not sexist or demeaning to say so. Look, if this woman thinks she's every bit as good as her counterparts in the Premier League, why doesn't she try out? If she's every bit as good as the men, she's choosing to play in a lower-paying league, and the pay gap is entirely voluntary. Or she has to admit that there's biological differences between men and women that keep them from competing evenly in bouts of athleticism, and that's why they get paid more. One weekend when I was in high school, I signed up for a basketball minicamp. Basketball wasn't one of my main sports, but I had nothing else to do that Saturday, so I said, what the hell? It'll be fun. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. I realized after I got there that I had fucked up. As people started to filter in, none of them were dudes. Chicks from a bunch of the nearby schools showed up, but by the time I realized that I had accidentally signed up for a women's basketball minicamp, it was too late. I wouldn't have been able to leave without looking like more of a dumbass. I got a few weird looks, and I'm sure more than a few people asked each other what the fuck this guy was doing here, but to their credit, everyone was polite and no one said anything to me. I was too embarrassed to walk out once it finally dawned on me, so I just rolled with it. It was all drills and skills, so the fact that I was a dude didn't really matter all that much anyway. The women who ran the camp were wonderful and accommodating of the elephant on the court. They were also really good players. They had great technical skills that I didn't have, but I realized something that day. I was a contender for any one of them. Even though I wasn't big into basketball, I could have given any of them a run for their money for their spot on the university team with a bit of practice and hard work. Now, I'm not trying to take anything away from them here. Like I said, they were great people and they were no slouches. And I have to assume that they're probably better readers than I was. The point here is that me being a decently athletic dude, I could overcome their superior technical skills simply because I was built differently. Annika Sorenstam, who was the best female golfer in the world at the time, played in a PGA Tour event in 2003 and didn't even make the cut. Again, men and women are built differently. And that's the reason why letting men play in women's sports is bullshit. No matter what sport it is, when you let men play against the women, they dominate. Right now, transgenders are playing in women's sports, and the outcome is pretty much what you'd expect. You have female world cycling records being shattered. Female hurdles event hopes being shattered. Female MMA fighter skulls being literally shattered. Athleticism is a challenge, or at least it's supposed to be. You put yourself up against the best people you can compete with. And then, if you win, your victory means something. This isn't about that. How much satisfaction can you possibly feel from dominating a basketball league where the women you're competing against only come up to your fancy new breasts? 
How fulfilled are you knowing that everyone else is competing for a distant second? What in the penis-tucking fuck can you possibly enjoy about this? You can make whatever statements you want about human rights, but let me put it to you like this. If you think the only way you can reach personal fulfillment is to steal victory from people hopelessly outmatched, why don't you just self-identify as 9 years old and win a few little league titles? Or better yet, just show the judges your IQ test and qualify for the Special Olympics. You people are sad, disappointing, and pathetic. Now, I know what you're thinking. 222, you hypocritical ass-face motherfucker. You went to an all-girls minicamp in a sport you didn't even really play because you were too stupid to read the pamphlet. And now you're trying to tell us it's bad when other people do it? Fair enough. I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton and Lanier up and down the court for 48 minutes. So, in summary, you can make the same amount of money that people do at the top of a sport by playing at their level. And, if you purposely play against people you're far better than, it's because you're an asshole. There's been a bunch of mass shootings in the States lately, and I don't just mean gang violence with illegal firearms. There was a big one in Atlanta where a man shot up some rub and tug parlors. Then, there was one at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado. These are all tragedies. They should never happen. Full stop. But, I want to take a minute to focus on the fallout. The Georgian one had the killer specifically saying he was targeting massage parlors. But, six of his eight victims happened to be Asian. So a bunch of people jumped at the chance to say that it was a hate crime. He targeted a specific type of business. This was verified, but that didn't stop the social justice warriors. Then, there was the mass shooting in Colorado. They didn't release the name of the suspect immediately, so things got a bit interesting. And by the way, heads up. Anytime the name of a shooter isn't immediately released, it's because it sounds Middle Eastern. But the woke folks didn't clue in on that. They fell over each other to see who could say white supremacy the loudest. One guy even went so far as to bet his salary that it was a white man before trying to walk it back when that ended up being pure horseshit and people called for him to donate his salary to the families of the victims. It turned out that the suspect was a Syrian Muslim. Then things got really weird. You had people going through incredible hoops to say that they'd been right all along and that this was white man inspired and white people were to blame. It reached peak idiocy when CNN reported that the shooter was, quote, factually Arabic, but morally white. This whole thing is bullshit, but it's a really cool what if moment. What if you could read a news article with the details scrubbed? You could only get them after you'd stated your opinion on it. Wouldn't that be cool? You could have reporting and social media outcry completely free of partisanship. If someone does something bad, you're against it. And you can't walk it back just because you voted for him. A mob burned down several businesses. Hmm, I don't like that. Oh, it turns out Antifa did it. I guess I'm against them now. 
a high-ranking politician covered up allegations of sexual misconduct. That's bad. Oh, shit. It was the liberals again. You'd think I'd see the pattern by now. An attack on the Capitol? That's evil. Oh, wait. It was Canada and the year was 1812? My bad. Another attack on the Capitol? You tricked me last time. This has to be a good one, right? Wrong. It's the far-left bombing of 1983. Fuck. I guess I'm anti-communist now. Look, there's only one answer for this. All of it is bad. None of it is more or less terrible, regardless of the pigmentation or political leanings of the people killed or the people killing them. If you're a child, you really shouldn't be listening to this. But if you're an adult, your skin weighs about 20 pounds. It's such a small part of who we are. Let's stop using it as the defining characteristic. Here's another thing. We need to stop deifying the shitsical lunatics doing these things. When you talk about how there was a lone wolf shooter, or that he planned and orchestrated this one on his own, you're building him up. Anytime you portray these people as anything less than despicable, you are emboldening potential future killers. We need to do the opposite. And this may sound like a joke, but I'm being totally serious. Ahmed al-Aliwi Alyssa, that dickless, friendless, spineless piece of shit, opened fire at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado last week. He was remanded into custody and will likely spend the rest of his life being fucked with mop handles. Faisal Hussein, that goat fucker with a baby carrot penis, killed two people in Toronto in 2018. What a fucking loser. Gabriel Wartman, a pathetic virgin, took time away from licking peanut butter off his dog's balls, the old switcheroo he likes to call it, to murder 23 people in Nova Scotia. I'm serious, folks. If we start reporting things this way, they're gonna happen a lot less. You want to talk about journalistic responsibility? This is a great place to start. Breaking news. Newfoundland had their provincial election last week. Its integrity was marred by concerns about potential ballot inaccuracies, which were made worse when they allowed four people to vote by phone. Apparently, telecommunications are a poor way to record ballots in a place that has the least comprehensible accent in the world. Folks, I'm getting tired of talking about Elizabeth May. She's weird, dumb, has chin wrinkles that make her look like a ventriloquist dummy, and stinks like a combination of cat piss, new private jet smell, and A535. But she just put forth a private member's bill to lower the federal voting age to 16. And this is just about the stupidest thing I can possibly imagine her doing since that time she told everyone that she was afraid of Wi-Fi in 2011. There's no nice way to say this. 16-year-olds are fucking idiots. How do I know this? I used to be a 16-year-old fucking idiot. I'm getting close to 40, and I don't even think I'm old enough to vote yet. What are you going to do to shore up their support? Offer them free subwoofers? Do you think they'll vote for a tax on pulling pants up? 
Are you going to scare them into voting for you by saying conservatives will ban Snapchat? It says a lot about the strength of a party's platform when they think the best way to cultivate votes is to try and get them from people whose brains aren't fully developed yet. I'm pretty sure the only reason why she didn't try to make the voting age even lower is that if crayons were available to mark your ballots, too many liberals would eat them. Nobody who's ever been 16 years old can possibly think this is a good idea. Now, I'm going to talk about Omar Cotter for a minute, but I want to preface this. Omar, if you're listening, I want you to know something. You are a piece of shit. Elizabeth May was very outspoken regarding that immeasurably huge asshole. It was unfair to try him as an adult. He deserved the $10.5 million he received from Canadian taxpayers. He was just a kid. Newsflash, you fucking dingbat. Omar Cotter was only a few months shy of 16 when he, allegedly, killed Christopher Spear. So take your pick, lady. Either kids are old enough to make important decisions, or they're not. Because right now, we're one bad bill away from having pizza pops become our national currency. It's not all bad, though. Maybe there's some middle ground we can find here. Let's say you let 16-year-olds vote in a decade or so. In the meantime, we update school curriculums to include finance and economics. I don't think you'll go for that, though. This is more about culling support from uneducated voters than it is about engaging youth. I'm sure you people have heard before that voting is a civic responsibility. Well, that's not entirely true. Casting an educated vote is. And as soon as that becomes a reality, Elizabeth May's support will dry up faster than that one eye of hers that never blinks. Well, folks, that's the show. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week, and don't forget to tell two friends. Let's start thinking about the ripple effects of the decisions we make, and let's stop making bad people famous. But that's just my 222 cents.